are listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. The Sapphire Planet. The interiors of the Olympic class ships were subdivided into 16 primary compartments, divided by 15 bulkheads, which extended well above the waterline. The RMS Titanic was no exception. Eleven vertically closing watertight doors could seal off the compartments in the event of an emergency. The ship's exposed decking was made of pine and teak, while interior ceilings were covered in paint, granulated cork, to combat condensation. The superstructure consisted of two decks, the promenade deck and the boat deck, which were about 500 feet long. They accommodated the officers' quarters, gymnasiums, public rooms, and first-class cabins, plus the bridge and wheelhouse. The ship's lifeboats were carried on the boat deck, the uppermost deck. Standing above the decks were four funnels, though only three were functional. The last one was a dummy, installed for aesthetic purposes, and two masts, each 155 feet high, which supported derricks for loading cargo. A wireless aerial was slung between the two masts. The work of constructing the ships was difficult and dangerous. For the 15,000 men who worked at Harland and Wolf at the time, safety precautions were rudimentary at best. A lot of the work was dangerous and was carried out without any safety equipment like hard hats or handguards on machinery. As a result, deaths and injuries were to be expected. During Titanic's construction, 
246 injuries were recorded, 28 of them severe, such as arms severed by machines or legs crushed under falling pieces of steel. Six people died on the ship itself while it was being constructed and fitted out, and another two died in the shipyard workshops and sheds. Sadly, just before the launch, a worker was killed when a piece of wood fell on him. Titanic was launched at 12.15 p.m. on May 31, 1911, in the presence of Lord Pierre, J. Piermont Morgan, and J. Bruce Ismay, and 100,000 onlookers. 22 tons of soap and tallow were spelled on the slipway to lubricate the ship's passage into the River Langan. In keeping with the White Star Line's traditional policy, the ship was not formally named or christened with champagne. The ship was towed to a fitting out berth where, over the course of the next year, its engines, funnels, and superstructures were installed and its interior was fitted out. Although Titanic was virtually identical to its earlier sister ship Olympic, a few changes were made to differentiate the two ships. The most notable of these was that the Titanic and its later sister Britannic had a steel screen with sliding windows installed along the forward half of the A-deck promenade. This was installed as a last-minute change at the personal request of Bruce Ismay and was intended to provide additional shelter to first-class passengers. These changes made Titanic marginally heavier than its sister and thus it could claim to be the largest ship afloat. The work took longer than expected due to design changes ordered by Ismay and a temporary pause in work occasioned by the need to repair Olympic, which had been in a collision in September 1911. Had Titanic been finished earlier, it might have well missed its rendezvous with an iceberg. Titanic sea trials began at 6 a.m. on Monday, April 2, 1912, just two days after its fitting out was finished and eight days before it was due to leave Southampton on its maiden voyage. The trials were delayed for a day due to bad weather, but by Monday morning it was clear and fair. Aboard were 78 stokers, greasers, and firemen, and 41 members of the crew. No domestic staff appeared to have been aboard. Representatives of various companies traveled on Titanic sea trials. Thomas Andrews and Edward Wilding of the Harland and Wolfe and Harold A. Sanderson of IMM. Bruce Ismay and Lord Perrier were too ill to attend. Jack Phillips and Harold Bride served as radio operators and performed fine-tuning of the Marconi equipment. Francis Carruthers, a surveyor from the Board of Trade, was also present to see that everything worked 
and the ship was fit to carry passengers. The sea trials consisted of a number of tests and its handling characteristics, carried out first in Belfast, Laos, and then in the open waters of the Irish Sea. Over the course of about 12 hours, Titanic was driven at different speeds. Its turning ability was tested, and a crash stop was performed in which the engines were reversed full ahead to full astern, bringing it to a stop in 850 yards, or 3 minutes and 15 seconds. The ship covered a distance of about 80 nautical miles, averaging 18 knots and reaching a maximum speed of just under 21 knots. On returning to Belfast at about 7 p.m., the surveyor signed an agreement and account of voyage and crew, valid for 12 months, which declared the ship seaworthy. An hour later, Titanic left Belfast again, as it turned out, for the last time, and headed to Southampton, a voyage of about 570 nautical miles. After a journey lasting about 28 hours, it arrived about midnight on April 4th, and it was towed to Port's berth 44, ready for the arrival of its passengers and the remainder of the crew. The Titanic was only to sail as a complete ship for two weeks before it sank. Although it was registered in Liverpool, it never made it to its home port. The story of the sinking is famous. Titanic's maiden voyage was intended to be the first of many cross-Atlantic journeys between Southampton in England, Cherbourg in France, Queenstown in Ireland, and New York in the United States, returning via Plymouth in England on the eastbound leg. The White Lart Star Line intended to operate three ships on that route, Titanic, Olympic, and the smaller RMS Oceanic. Each would sail once every three weeks from Southampton and New York, usually leaving at noon each Wednesday from Southampton and each Saturday from New York, thus enabling the White Star Lines to offer weekly sailings in each direction. Special trains were scheduled from London and Paris to convey passengers to Southampton and Cherbourg, respectively. The deep water dock at Southampton, then known as the White Star Dock, had been specially constructed to accommodate the new Olympic-class liners and had opened in 1911. Titanic had about 885 crew members on board for its maiden voyage. Like other vessels of its time, it did not have a permanent crew, and the vast majority of crew members were casual workers who came aboard the ship a few hours before it sailed from Southampton. The process of signing up recruits had begun on March 23rd, and some had been sent to Belfast, 
where they served as a skeleton crew during Titanic sea trials and passage to England at the start of April. Captain Edward John Smith, the most senior of White Star Line's captains, was transferred for the Olymp- from the Olympic to take command of Titanic. Henry Tingle Wilde also came across from Olympic to take the post of chief mate. Titanic's previously designated chief mate and first officer, William McMaster Murdoch, and Charles Lightrawler were bumped down to the ranks of first and second officers, respectively. The original second officer, David Blair, was dropped from the ship altogether. Titanic's crew were divided into three principal departments. Deck with 66 crew members, engine with 325 crew members, and victualling with 494 crew members. The vast majority of the crew were thus not seamen, but were either engineers, firemen, or stokers responsible for looking after engines, or stewards and galley staff responsible for the passengers. Of these, over 97% were male. Just 23 of the crew were female, mainly stewardesses. The rest represent a great variety of professions. Bakers, chefs, butchers, fishmongers, dishwashers, stewards, gymnasium instructors, laundrymen, waiters, bed makers, cleaners, and even a printer who produced a daily newspaper for passengers called the Atlantic Daily Bulletin, with the latest news received by the ship's wireless operators. Most of the crew signed on in Southampton on April 6th, and in all, 699 of the crew came from there, and 40% were natives of the town of Southampton. A few specialist staff were self-employed or were subcontractors. These included the five postal clerks who worked for the Royal Mail and U.S. Postal Service. The staff of the first class a la carte restaurant and the Café Parisian, the radio operators who were employed by Marconi, and the eight musicians who were employed by an agency and traveled as second-class passengers. Crew pay varied greatly from the captain who made... 105 pounds a month, which is equivalent to 7,704 pounds today, to the 3 pounds 10 shillings, or 257 pounds today, that stewardesses earned. The lower paid staff could, however, supplement their wages substantially through tips from passengers. Titanic's passengers numbered around 1,317 people, 324 in first class, 284 in second class, and 709 in third class. 869 of them, or 66%, were male, and 447 of them, or 34%, were female. There were 107 children aboard, 
the largest number of which were in third class. The ship was considerably under capacity on its maiden voyage, and it could accommodate 2,566 passengers, 1,034 in first class, 510 in second class, and 1,022 in third class. Usually, a high-prestige vessel like Titanic could expect to be fully booked on its maiden voyage. However, a national coal strike in the UK had caused considerable disruption to shipping schedules in the spring of 1912, causing many crossings to be canceled. Many would-be passengers chose to postpone their travel plans until the strike was over. The strike had finished a few days before Titanic sailed, However, that was too late to have much of an effect. Titanic was only able to sail on the scheduled date because coal was transferred from other vessels which were tied up at Southampton, such as the City of New York and Oceanic. Some of the most prominent people of the day booked a passage aboard Titanic, traveling in first class. Among them were American millionaires John Jacob Astor IV, and his wife Madeline Forrest Astor, industrialist Benjamin Guggenheim, Macy's owner Isidore Strauss, and his wife Ida, Denver millionaires Margaret Molly Brown, Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon and his wife Lucy, Lady Duff Gordon, cricketer and businessman John Borland, Thayer with his wife Marion, together with their son Jack, the Countess of Roths, author and socialite Helen Churchill Candy, journalist and social reformer William Thomas Steed, Arthur Jacques Fruchel and his wife May, and silent film actress Dorothy Gibson, among others. Titanic's owner, J.P. Morgan, was scheduled to travel on the maiden voyage, but canceled at the last minute. Also aboard the ship were the White Line Star Managing Director, J. Bruce Ismay, and Titanic's designer, Thomas Andrews, who was on board to observe any problems and assess the general performance of the ship. The exact number of people on board is not known. Not all those who had booked tickets made it to the ship. About 50 people canceled for various reasons and not all those who boarded stayed aboard for the entire journey. Fares on board Titanic varied enormously in cost. Third-class fares from London, Southampton, or Queenstown cost seven pounds five shillings, equivalent to 532 pounds today, while the cheapest first-class fare cost 23 pounds or 1,688 pounds today. The most expensive first-class suits, suites were up to cost up to 870 pounds in high season, which is an astounding 63,837 pounds today. On Wednesday, April 10, 1912, the Titanic's maiden voyage began. Following the embarkation of the crew, the passengers began arriving 
from 9.30 a.m. when the London and Southwestern Railroad's boat train from London Waterloo Station reached Southampton Terminus Railway Station by the quayside right along Titanic's berth. The large number of third-class passengers meant that they were the first to board, with first and second-class passengers following up to within an hour of departure. Stewards showed them to their cabins, and first-class passengers were personally greeted by Captain Smith on boarding. Third-class passengers were inspected for ailments and physical impairments that might lead them to being refused entry in the United States, not a prospect that the White Line, White Star Line wished to see, as it would have been have to carry them back across the Atlantic for free. Nine hundred and twenty-two passengers were recorded as having embarked Titanic at Southampton. Further passengers were picked up to Cherbourg and Queenstown. The maiden voyage began on time at noon. An accident was narrowly averted only a few minutes later, as Titanic passed the moored liners SS City of New York and Oceanic. Its huge displacement in the water caused both of the smaller ships to be lifted by a bulge of water and then dropped into a trough. The New York's mooring cables could not take the sudden strain and snapped, swinging it around stern first towards Titanic. A nearby tugboat, Vulcan, came to the rescue by taking New York under tow and Captain Smith ordered Titanic's engines to be put full astern. The two ships only avoided a collision by a matter of about four feet. The incident delayed Titanic's departure for about an hour while the drifting New York was brought under control. That one hour made all the difference in the world. After making it safely through the complex tides and channels of Southampton water, and the Solent, Titanic headed out into the English Channel. It headed for the French port of Cherbourg, a journey of 77 nautical miles. The weather was windy, very fine, but cold and overcast. Because Cherbourg's lacked docking facilities for the ship the size of Titanic, tenders had to be used to transfer passengers from shore to ship. The White Star Line operated two at Cherbourg, the SS Traffic and the SS Nomadic. Both have been designed specifically as tenders for the Olympic-class liners and were launched shortly after Titanic. Nomadic is today the only White Star Line ship still afloat. Four hours after Titanic left Southampton, it arrived at Cherbourg and it was met by the tenders. 274 more passengers boarded Titanic, and 24 left aboard the tenders to be conveyed to ashore. This process was completed within only 90 minutes, and at 8 p.m., Titanic weighed anchor and left for Queensdown with the weathering continuing cold and windy.
at 11.30 a.m. on Thursday, April 11th, Titanic arrived at Cork Harbor in Southern Ireland. It was partly cloudy, but relatively warm day with brisk wind. Again, the dock facilities were not suitable for a ship of its size, and tenders were used to bring the passengers aboard. 113 third-class and seven second-class passengers came aboard, while seven passengers left. Among the departures was Father Francis Brown, a Jesuit trainee who was a keen photographer and took many photographs aboard Titanic, including the last ever-known photograph of the ship. A decidedly unofficial departure was that of a crew member, Stoker John Coffey, native of Queenstown, who sneaked off the ship by hiding under mailbags being transported to shore. That was the smartest thing he had ever done. Titanic weighed anchor and for the last time at 1.30 p.m. and departed on its westward journey across the Atlantic. After leaving Queenstown, Titanic followed the Irish coast as far as Fastnet Rock, a distance of some 55 nautical miles. From there, it traveled 1,620 nautical miles along the Great Circle Route across the North Atlantic to reach a spot in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean known as the Corner, southeast of Newfoundland, where Western steamers carried out a change of course. Titanic only sailed a few hours past the corner on a room line leg of 1,023 nautical miles to Nantucket Shoals Light when it made its fatal rendezvous with an iceberg. The final leg of the journey would have been 193 nautical miles to Ambrose Light and finally to New York Harbor. The first three days of voyage from Queenstown passed without incident. From April 11th to local apparent noon the next day, Titanic covered 484 nautical miles. The following day, 519 nautical miles. And by noon on the final day of its voyage, 400, 546 nautical miles. From then until the time of its sinking, it traveled another 258 nautical miles averaging about 21 knots. The weather cleared as it left Ireland under cloudy skies with a headwind. Temperatures remained fairly mild through Sunday, April 13th, but the following day, Titanic crossed a cold weather front with strong winds and waves of up to eight feet. These died down as the day progressed until by the evening of Sunday, April 14th, it became clear calm, and very, very cold. The Titanic received a series of warnings from other ships of drifting ice in the area of the Grand Banks of Newfoundland. Nonetheless, the ships continued to steam at full speed, which was standard practice at the time. It was generally believed that ice posed little danger to large vessels, and Captain Smith himself had declared that he could not 
imagine any condition which would cause a ship to founder. Modern shipbuilding has gone beyond that. At 11.40 p.m. ship's time, lookout Frederick Fleet spotted an iceberg immediately ahead of the Titanic and alerted the bridge. First Officer William Murdoch ordered the ship to be steered around the obstacle and the engines to be put in reverse, but it was too late. The starboard side of the Titanic struck the iceberg, creating a series of holes below the waterline. Five of the ship's watertight compartments were breached. It soon became clear that the ship was doomed as it could not survive more than four compartments being flooded. Titanic began sinking bow first with water spilling from compartment to compartment as its angle in the water became steeper. Those aboard the Titanic were ill-prepared for such an emergency. The ship's lifeboats only had enough space to carry about half of those on board. If the ship had carried its full complement, only about a third could have been accommodated in the lifeboats. The crew had not been trained adequately in carrying out an evacuation. The officers did not know how many they could passengers they could put safely in the lifeboats and lost many of them barely half full. Third-class passengers were largely, largely left to fend for themselves, causing many of them to become trapped below decks as the ship filled with water. A women and children first protocol was generally followed for loading of the lifeboats, and most of the male passengers and crew were left aboard. two hours and 40 minutes after Titanic struck the iceberg. Its rate of sinking suddenly increased as its forward deck dipped underwater and the sea poured in through open hatches and grates. As its unsupported stern rose out of the water, exposing the propellers, the ship split apart between the third and fourth funnels due to immense strain on the keel. The stern remained afloat for a few minutes longer, rising to nearly a vertical angle with hundreds of people still clinging to it. At 2.20 a.m., it sank, breaking loose from its bow section. The remaining passengers and crew were plunged into lethally cold water with a temperature of only 28 degrees Fahrenheit or minus two Celsius. Almost all of those in the water died of hypothermia or cardiac arrest within minutes or drowned. Only 13 of them were helped into the lifeboats, though these had room for almost 500 more occupants. Distress signals were sent by wireless, rockets, and lamp, but none of the ships that responded were near enough to reach it before it sank. A nearby ship, the Californian, which was the last to have been in contact before the collision, saw its flares, but failed to assist. Around 4 a.m., RMS Carpathia arrived on the receipts to respond to Titanic's earlier distress calls. 710 people survived the disaster, 
and were conveyed to Carpathia to New York, Titanic's original designation, while 1,517 people lost their lives. Carpathia took three days to reach New York after leaving the scene of the disaster. Its journey was slowed by pack ice, fog, thunderstorms, and rough seas. It was, however, able to pass news to the outside world by wireless about what happened. The initial reports were confused, leading the American press to report erroneously on April 15th that Titanic was being towed to port by the SS Virginian. Later that day, confirmation came through that Titanic had been lost and that most of the passengers and crew had died. The news attracted crowds of people to the White Star Line's office in London, New York, Southampton, Liverpool, and Belfast. It hit hardest in Southampton, whose people suffered the greatest losses from the sinking. Four out of five crew members came from Southampton. The Salvation Army newspaper, The War Cry, reported that none but the heart of stone would be unmoved in the presence of such anguish. Night and day, that crowd of pale, anxious faces had been waiting patiently for the news that did not come. Nearly everyone in the crowd had lost a relative. It was not until April 17th that the first incomplete list of survivors came through, delayed by poor communications. Carpathia docked at 9.30 p.m. on April 18th at New York's Pier 54 and was greeted by some 40,000 people waiting at the quayside in heavy rain. Immediate relief in the form of clothing and transportation to shelters was provided by Women's Relief Committee, the Travelers Aid Society of New York, and the Council of Jewish Women, among other organizations. Many of Titanic's surviving passengers did not linger in New York, but headed onwards immediately to relatives' homes. Some of the wealthier survivors chartered private trains to take them home, and the Pennsylvania Railroad laid on a special train free of charge to take survivors to Philadelphia. Titanic's 214 surviving crew members were taken to the Red Star Line steamer SS Lapland where they were accommodated in passenger cabins. Carpathia was hurriedly restocked with food and provisions before resuming its journey to Fujim, Austria-Hungary. Its crew was given a bonus of a month's wages by Cunard as a reward for their actions, and some of Titanic's passengers joined together to give them an additional bonus of 900 pounds, or 66,000 pounds today, divided between the crew members. The ship's arrival in New York led to a frenzy of press interest, 
with newspapers competing to be the first to report on the survivor's stories. Some reporters bribed their way aboard the pilot boat New York, which guided Carpathia into harbor, and one even managed to get onto Carpathia before it darked. Crowds gathered outside newspaper offices to see the latest reports being posted in the windows or on billboards. It took another four days for a complete list of casualties to be completed and released, adding to the agony of relatives waiting for the news of those who had been aboard the Titanic. On April 23rd, the Daily Mail reported, Late in the afternoon, hope died out. The waiting crowds thinned, and silent men and women sought their homes. In the humbler homes of Southampton, there is scarcely a family who has not lost a relative or friend. Children returning from school appreciated something of a tragedy, and woeful little faces were turned to the darkened, fatherless homes. Many charities were set up to help the victims and their families, many of whom lost their sole breadwinner, or in the case of many third-class survivors, everything they owned. On April 29th, opera stars Enrico Caruso and Mary Gardens and members of the Metropolitan Opera raised $12,000 in benefits for victims of the disaster by giving special concerts in which the versions of Autumn and Nearer My God to Thee were part of the program. In Britain, relief funds were organized for the families of Titanic's crews lost crew members, raising nearly 450,000 pounds or $3.3 million today. One such fund was still in operation as late as the 1960s. Even before the survivors arrived in New York, investigators were being planned to discover what had happened and what could be done to prevent a recurrence. The United States Senate initiated an inquiry into the disaster on April 19th, a day after the Carpathia arrived in New York. The chairman of the inquiry, Senator William Adelman Smith, wanted to gather accounts from passengers and crew while the events were still fresh in their minds. Smith also needed to subpoena all surviving British passengers and crew while they were still on American soil, which prevented them from returning to the UK before the American inquiry was completed on May 25th. The British press condemned Smith as an opportunist, insensitively forcing an inquiry as a means of gaining political prestige and seizing his moment to stand on the world stage. Smith, however, already had a reputation as a campaigner for safety on U.S. railroads and wanted to investigate any possible malpractices by railroad tycoon J.P. Morgan, Titanic's ultimate owner.
Lord Mercy was appointed to the head of the British Board of Trade Inquiry into the disaster which took place between May 2nd and July 3rd. Each inquiry, each inquiry took testimony from both passengers and crew of Titanic. Crew members of Leland Lines Californian, Captain Arthur Rostron of Carpathia, and other experts. The two inquiries reached broadly similar conclusions. The regulations on the number of lifeboats that ships had to carry were out of date and inadequate. Captain Smith of the Titanic had failed to take proper heed of ice warnings. The lifeboats had not been properly filled or crewed, and the collisions was a direct result of streaming into danger area at too high of speed. Recommendations included major changes in maritime regulations to implement new safety measures, such as ensuring that more lifeboats were provided and that lifeboat drills were properly carried out and that wireless equipment on passenger ship was manned around the clock. An international ice patrol was set up to monitor the presence of icebergs in the North Atlantic, and maritime safety regulations were harmonized internationally through the International Convention for Safety at Life at Sea. Both measures are still in force today. One of the most controversial issues examined by the inquiries was the role played by the SS Californian, which had only been a few miles from Titanic, but had not picked up its distress calls or responded to its signal rockets. Californian had warned the Titanic by radio of pack ice that was the reason the Californian had stopped for the night, but was rebuked by the Titanic senior wireless operator, Jack Phillips. Testimony before the British inquiry revealed that about 10.10 p.m., Californian observed the lights of a ship to the south. It was later agreed between Captain Stanley Lord and 3rd Officer C.V. Groves, who had relieved Lord of duty at 11.10 p.m., that this was a passenger liner. At 11.50 p.m., the officer had watched the ship's lights flash out as if it had shut down or turned sharply and then that the port light was now visible. Morse light signals to the ship upon Lord's order were made between 11.30 p.m. and 1 a.m., but were never acknowledged by the Titanic. Captain Lord had gone to the chart room at 11 p.m. to spend the night. However, 2nd Officer Herbert Stone, now on duty, notified Lord at 1.10 a.m., that the ship had fired five rockets. Lord wanted to know if they were company signals, that is, colored flares used for identification. Stone said he did not know and that the rockets were all white. Captain Lord instructed the crew to continue to signal the other vessels with Morse lamp and went back to sleep. Three more rockets were observed at 1.50 a.m., and Stone noted that the ship looked strange in the water, as if it were listing. At 2.15 a.m., Lord was notified that the ship could no longer be seen. Lord asked again if the lights had any colors in them, and he was informed that they were all white. Californian eventually responded. At around 5.30 a.m., 
Chief Officer George Stewart, awakened wireless operator Cyril Frumstone Evans, informed him that the rockets had been seen during the night and asked that he try to communicate with any ship. He got the news of the Titanic's loss. Captain Lord was notified and the ship set out to render assistance. It ar arrived well after the Carpathia had already picked up all its survivors. The inquiries found that the ship seen by the Californian was in fact the Titanic and that it would have been possible for the Californian to come to its rescue. Therefore, Captain Lord had acted improperly in failing to do so. However, Lord protested his innocence to the end of his life, and many researchers have asserted that the known position of the Titanic and the Californian make it impossible that the latter was the infamous mystery ship, a topic which has generated millions of words, hours in heated debates, and continues to do so to this day. The number of casualties of the sinking is unclear due to a number of factors, including confusion over the passenger list, which included some names of people who canceled their trip at the last minute, and the fact that several passengers traveled under false aliases for various reasons and were double counted on the casualty list. The death toll has been put between 1490 and 1,635 people. Less than a third of those aboard Titanic survived the disaster. Some survivors died shortly afterwards. Injuries and effects of the exposure caused the deaths of several of those brought aboard the Carpathia. The figures show stark differences in the survival rates of the different classes aboard Titanic. Although only 3% of first-class women were lost, 54% of women in third-class died. Similarly, five of six first-class and all second-class children survived, but 52 of the 79 children in third-class perished. The last living survivor, Milovina Dean from England, who had only nine weeks old, was the youngest passenger aboard, died at the age of 97 on May 31st, 2009. journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet.
Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.